So this, mor uh, this morning, uh, like I said uh, yesterday, I would like to introduce and talk about the practice of Korean song. So when uh, so when I uh, arrived in Korea and was taken to see the song master, uh, Master Cousin, the Zen master, the song master of that temple. And the first thing he asked me, what is the most frightening thing in the world? And then I said, well, uh, at that time, I was 22, being alone at night. And he said, oh, no, 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 there is something much more frightening than that. And it's not to know one's own true mind. And then he said, what is the most best thing in the world? I said, well, people smiling at each other. He said, not bad, but there's something better than that. And this is to know your true, amazing, enlightened mind. And then he said, in order to do that, in order to discover, in a way, our own potential capacity, one could say, then you have to ask this question. Is this? What is this? So then, in Korean song, that's called the wadu. And actually, wadu means before speech. So in a way, you could say it's before we think about something, what is it actually in the experience? So in a way, when we ask, what is this? We really are not, this is really not a psychological exploring or philosophical exploring. We're really not asking about the history or about the meaning of the universe. This is really actually a practice of just questioning and really not a practice of answering. Because we have to see that uh, Chan, uh, that's a pronunciation in China, started out as a way to practice, to meditate in China in the 6th, 7th century. Then it went to Japan, then they call it Son, then it went to Korea, they call it Son, then it went to Japan, they call it Zen. And you have to see that in each country over time, due to history, due to different factors, these three training, which started out from the same root, in a way influenced, were influenced by different factors, and so develop a little bit in a different way. And so, for example, in Japan, uh, answering is very much part of the practice, but that was something which was added later on in the 17th century to revitalize the tradition. So this wadu, this question, what is this, comes out of a koan. So koan, nowadays I even journalists seems to use this term koan. So I presume everybody is more or less familiar with the term koan. Uh, 
And koan generally is uh, a little seen nowadays as like, uh, how do you say that in English? Uh, when you ask a question, like when children ask each other a question, like, you know, why did the chicken cross the road? And then you have a funny answer. And often koans are associated with this kind of funny question, and then you get a funny answer. But the koan itself is basically the encounter of two persons. So generally you have a teacher, generally you have a disciple, and then out of that encounter there is some clarity, there is some exploration. So this koan, which uh, this, uh, the wadu comes from, what is this, comes from this kind of quite early encounter between the sixth patriarch, Wineng, and a young monk who comes to visit him. And so Wineng asks Weijang, where do you come from? And then Weijang says, I come from Mount Sang, which is far away. And then the teacher said, what is this feeling? And how did he get here? And then Weijang goes and practice. And also Son Zen Chan generally is presented as a shortcut, like a kind of a fast track to awakening. After seven years, he kind of, you know, what is this feeling? How did he get here? And then he has a breakthrough. And then he goes to the teacher and says, I have a breakthrough. And then the teacher says, what is it? And then Wei Zhang said, to, see, to say it is like something is not to the point, but still, it can be cultivated. So the whole story I just told you, that's a koan. And basically, it's just a little story. And out of that encounter, then something which was kind of like the main point is taken. What is this? And then used in the practice. And then what we have to see, the way it kind of, uh, it was oriented in Korea is to really focus on developing a sensation of questioning. So the asking the question is really not about finding an answer, but more about developing a sensation of questioning in the whole body and mind. And this, and when we do this practice, for some people it's easy to ask a question without looking for an answer. And for other people, it's very difficult to ask for a question, to ask a question without looking for an answer. Because in a way, this is the way we generally have been trained. You have a question, you get an answer, you get another question, you get another <coughs> answer. So generally, if we talk question, we generally are talking about answer. They generally go together. But here we have to see it's really a practice of meditation which combine together what I talked about yesterday, anchoring. So in a way, the question is used in the same way as the breath, the body, the sound, 
anything which is an anchoring object in the fact that you ask the question, what is this? And then you become distracted and then you go back to the question, what is it? And you can notice the same effect, that if you come back to the question, you actually come back to the whole moment. You come back to the breath, same, you come back to the whole moment. And so in a way to see that the same process is operating here, the fact that the point of the anchoring is actually when we anchor in this coming back, four things happen. One thing is that actually the problem is not having the thought. Thought arising is what is our brain operating. In the same way, the idea is not to stop hearing. The idea of the meditation is not to stop thinking. That's not the idea. The brain operates, it does its thing. There is no problem with that. What we're looking at more to bring choices, as Stephen mentioned, is the fact that do we want to continue? In a way, do we want to feed the thought? Because you might have noticed yesterday, you meditated quite a few times, and I would be surprised if you had many truly original thought. <laughs> thought you had never, ever had before. <laughs> I presume the thought that appeared, you had them before. And very likely you will have them again. <clears throat> and so then the question is, do I want to feed the habituation? So we're not talking about the thought, but the habituation, the fact that we keep thinking about the same thing. So in a way, if we come back to the question, same as if we come back to the breath, actually we're not feeding the habituation, then by coming back we're diminishing its power, which then gives us opportunity to bring back the thought to its creative function. So you know, part of the meditation process that it be with the breath or with the questioning, is to help us to bring back the thought to its creative function, instead of feeding its automating, fixating development. But then the fourth thing that happened to me, which is really important, is by coming back to the question of the breath, we come back to the whole moment. So we come back, instead to have, as I mentioned yesterday, a small piece of our experience, when we are in the thought, or caught in the sensation, or caught in the feeling, or whatever it might be, we come back to the whole thing. So the same thing happened with the anchoring element of the question. We come back to the question, what is this? We come back to the whole moment. So it's, a, as the teacher used to say in Korea, the, the question, is actually like a stick in the ground to which you have a rope attached to a goat. And the goat can still move a bit like the boat, but it's not going to eat your cabbages because it's just that little space between the cabbages and the goat. And same here. 
we're going to ask, what is this? And we're going to think about something else. We come back to the, what is this? We come back to the whole thing. And I think this is an important aspect of the meditation method, that it be the breath or the question, the fact it enables us to come back to something which is more multi-perspectival, instead of, in a way, fixing ourselves in just one of the elements of the experience. But we'll talk more about this at another date. So that's part of the anchoring of the question. So what is this? But what is very important is that the question is not a mantra. It's not sacred word. And I would not encourage you to ask a question in English with a French accent. But, whatever is your language, English, Welsh, German, Norwegian, <coughs> whatever is your language, just use that. So whatever language fits with you. So the point is not to sit there, what is this, what is this, what is this, I mean, you know, and at the end of the day you tell me, oh, I did a million today. <laughs> This is really not what this is about. Because then, the really one of the important elements of the question is that it's a question. So in a way, sometimes people ask, where should I put the emphasis? Should I say, what is this? Should I say, what is this? Or should I say, what is there? The most important part of the question is a question mark. That's what is important. So the words are more like a diving board so that we develop a sensation of questioning, of perplexity. This is very important. And so in a way, we try to become a question mark. And so what is important is more like the pregnant sense of what is there? The fact that this is a question. And then from a mindfulness point of view, you could nearly say, it's like throwing the question into the moment. What is there? So that in a way you open to the whole moment without defining anything within it. Because of course, with mindfulness generally, what we do is we focus on one thing to really be very mindful of it generally, specifically. Here with the question, we try in a way to be aware in a wide open way without fixing anything. So in a way, just opening to the whole thing. What is there? So that's what we're trying to do. And then, I think what is very important is to see that this is a method and like any method, it might not necessarily work for everybody. So that, I think, is very important. In the same way that the breath, I would say, might not be recommended for certain people who have asthma. That would not be a good object, because it would bring stress and tension. And then another object might be better. In the same way that later on, we will do listening meditation. And if you have tinnitus, 
ringing in the ears, I would not recommend listening meditation inside the room. Outside the room, yes, not inside the room. In the same way, if you try to do this question, what is this? And as soon as you ask it, it just leads to more proliferation of thought, then it might be better to just do the breath, or the body, or the sound. Or, like it can be the case with some people, you're sitting there, what is this, what is that, why am I asking this stupid question, then do something else. Again, the question is not sacred. It's a skillful means to anchor and to question. Then some people might ask a question and then it's like it might kind of make you feel a little anxious. Then I would say do it just a little bit, not too much. Or you might do the question and immediately you love it and you have amazing experience. And this really depends. We have to really see that's why on this retreat, although it's a song retreat, we've decided to offer a suggestion, mindfulness of the breath, doing the questioning, or listening meditation, so that you can see which one seems to fit better for me. I think this is important to find what works for one, and we can explore that through the week. Then there is a question, how do I do it technically, this question? So you can do it, I would say, the traditional way would just be to ask a question, what is this? Then you feel a little of that sensation of questioning, and when that goes, again, what is this? And again and again, slowly, in whatever reason that works for you. Then you can also do it with the breath. There was one teacher uh, I followed who used to do that. He said, you breathe in, and as you breathe out, what is this? You breathe in, and as you breathe out, what is it? Or, if you are more used to do mindfulness, you could do mindfulness of the breath. And just time to time, drop it in. Within a 35 minute or 30 minutes, just two or three times within that meditation, you could just drop in, what is it? And just open to that. Or you can do it, you could nearly say in an even more uh, awareness way, and then you could direct it to something. If, if that's what you used to do, to be aware of your thought or your sensation or thing of that nature. And then you see a thought. You could say, what is it? But without analyzing, without analysis. But just, what is this? Or if there is a sensation, what is this? But in order to be more inside it, again, you can play with it. So the traditional way would just to be ask a question just like that, unconditionally, no mm -hmm. reference point, mm -hmm. not looking for an answer. But I think in a modern <laughs> setting, we can also ask it with the breath, we can also ask it time to time, 
and we can, in a way, explore how can I use this question in a way which will help me to anchor, which will help me to develop clarity. So what is very important, because that's what the Master Cousin used to say with his song, song, jog, jog, bright, bright, quiet, quiet, is kind of, we have these two elements in meditation, the element of calm, the element of alertness. And so this practice is very much toward the element of alertness. Because I think often people see meditation more as a kind of a concentration device, more as a calming device. And then one could say one can become nearly too calm. So what's good about the, this question is that it really wakes us up. What is this? What is this? So there is that alertness element. But if that alertness becomes a little too much, and one can become agitated, then it can be good to something more calming. So then one could try to repeat the question more, or one could try to come back to the breath for the calming element. So I think we can also play with what is the object, if I focus on which will help me more with the calmness, stillness, spaciousness element, and what is which is going to help me with the alertness, the brightness. And so I think like at that level the question can be very useful. But we ask the question within some stillness, some calmness. So we have to be careful that the question doesn't lead to more agitation. And if it leads to agitation, then we come back to some more calmness element. But if we feel a little too calm or we feel a little sleepy, then bringing <coughs> the question could bring more alertness, more vividness. So in a way, we can use these two elements. So as my teacher used to say, you have a balance between the calmness and the alertness. Then within that, there is also the technical aspect a little bit of the body, of looking a little bit how do we meditate. And often we see the meditation as, you know, I'm going to do something with my mind. But whenever we try to put in any kind of effort Generally, we will, we, as we do an effort, we're going to associate the body with the effort. It's not just a mind thing. And so what you have to be very careful that it be any other kind of meditation of this one, to be careful the way we bring effort through the body when we do the practice. And that's why in the sun practice, they talk a lot about effortless effort that actually we want to put enough effort that there is enough energy and alertness, but not too much effort that we don't become tense, and not, not enough effort that we're actually a little kind of sloppy and a little kind of vague. So when we do this practice, we have to be first very careful like first, when we do any practice, to notice how am, I, how am I putting the effort actually with the body? 
And you can know that because suddenly you find yourself tensing. Myself, sometimes I feel I am trying to focus with my shoulder, and suddenly I find my body tensing in order to put effort. Or suddenly my jaw tightens, like if I'm kind of trying to meditate with my jaw, so I'm kind of tensing the jaw. Because we often associate effort with how we, we use a body when we're going to lift something heavy. So if we have like, if I had a big weight here, as it's instructed in all everywhere, I would kind of, you know, go and kneel a bit, then I would gather myself, and then I would bring all this kind of kinetic energy so I could lift this weight. But do we need to use a lot of kinetic energy to meditate? That's a question. I mean, we need enough so that we don't flop. But we don't need to tighten in order to meditate. And often there is this nearly automatic association of effort with tightening the body. So we really try to be careful with that in terms of any meditation. And then in terms of this meditation, of asking the question, trying to be careful of not asking the question with the head, on top of it in a kinetic way. So you like me at the beginning in Korea, what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? <laughs> this really is not the idea. <coughs> so generally, we try to bring the energy down actually. And often they suggest we ask a question from the belly, the lower part of the belly. So it's like if we bring our sense of sitting here to the belly, and then nearly asking the question from there. So really being very careful not to ask the question, putting this kind of tenseness in the head, because then it's going to give us a day. So really bring it down into the belly, into the lower part of the body. This is really useful. I mean, once somebody asked uh, Master Cousin, should he put the question in a special spot in the middle of the head, forehead? <coughs> and Master Cousin said, no, 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 no. If you want to put it in a particular spot, put it in your big toe. <laughs> there, that's fine. But really, don't put it in your head. So you can put it in your big toe, in the belly, but really bring the energy down when you use a question. And really kind of, as you sit, also being aware of the body, trying to see, yes, I want a certain feeling of uprightness, but being careful when we kind of tense up in terms of putting more energy, and then trying to relax. So in a way, how can we have this alert attention without tensing as nearly an automatic reaction. So playing a little with that balance today, I would say. Are there any questions about the question or is it relatively clear? And then you also uh, the idea is to continue with the questioning when we walk as well. 
So in a way to do the questioning as we walk, to do the questioning as we stand up in the queue, as we work, as we eat. And so in a way trying to bring this sensation in questioning. And so in a way it's a little bit, you could say, Stephen will talk more about this uh, tomorrow, but kind of bringing a little bit because generally what we bring to things because it's useful and it's a function is in a way description, commenting, affirmation. This is a teapot, this is me standing, this is a flower. And then time to time there are things we are not sure of. I mean at the moment very likely if you walk around you might smell something. Mm. And if you like me, I try to see which tree, where does it come from. But it can also be interesting to smell something without looking for the source and just hmm, smelling it. So in a way it's kind of like interesting this moment, like me yesterday listening to the sound and having no idea what actually the machine who produced it on the road looked like. And so having that, hmm, that curiosity. See, in a way, can we bring a sense of curiosity to whatever we do through the day, but which, with it, doesn't lead to analysis, doesn't lead to indifference. But really, that curiosity also has this caring, kind, attention within it. So you have the questioning, but the questioning again, as I mentioned yesterday, has this loving kindness, this compassion within it. So really to have also a warm questioning, a warm curiosity, when we feel through the curiosity, we feel connected to whatever we see, but for themselves. We'll talk more about that later. Because generally we see things for ourselves. So if the question is actually opening to what is this for itself instead of ourselves. So in a way we are aware of us existing with everything else existing. So there is again this connection. But we'll talk more about this. So continuing the questioning when we walk and also when we go outside or do whatever. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.